Timothy chapter number 3. One of the first, now, I've received several questions. Some questions are probably not going to be discussed on a Wednesday night in church. But if I don't get to your question, I will give you a long answer to your question if I don't cover it in church. There are certain ones that I might not get to. There are others that it's going to take me a little bit longer to get through. Some people ask me questions and things. And uh, it's like, wow, those questions, you could go online and not two people would agree on this question. So you could look all over. Our goal, and my goal as a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to take the word of God and to teach it and to preach what it says. That's very important to how we live. And I've even, over the past several years, some people might look and say, oh, pastor, you've, you've changed your thoughts on some things. I haven't, I have changed some things. But this is the problem. Brian had, I'll put it this way so that we help understand it tonight. We'll use this. These were Brian's thoughts right here. Maybe even some of the thoughts that Brian was raised under, some thoughts. But then you see the Bible says something different than what were Brian's thoughts. So if Brian has changed, Brian has changed to become aligned with this book instead of having his own thoughts because this book should be what guides us. I get worried for those who don't ever change in a positive way and grow in the Lord because the Word of God should change you. The Word of God should, and there's going to be times, and there's been times for me where I could look back seven or eight years ago and I would say something behind this pulpit. And I look now and I'm like, that was more what Brian thought, not what the book said. The longer I'm in this thing and the longer I pastor, my desire, my whole desire is that this book is what's preached. And where this book is silent, Brian does best to be silent. Where this book says a lot, we can see what the book has to say. We don't need Brian's opinion because Brian's opinion doesn't add up to a whole lot. We need the word of God. And so as we look here tonight and as we go through our summer series on questions, there's going to be some things that get brought up, and you'll be like, well, pastor, that's not what you said before. I'm going to explain to you some different things, and we're going to have some fun with this. And so if, if after the lesson it raises more questions in your head, that's not a bad thing either, but ask those questions. If after we're done, you're like, well, pastor, I'm, what about this? And then you've said this. What about this? Go ahead, ask those questions. Questions are good. Questions are good. I might not have all the answers, but someone does somewhere. We'll figure it all out. The word of God has all the answers. But tonight, I was asked a question a while back, and this question was, how does the Old Testament apply to me? I hear some people go deep, and there's laws there's ceremonial laws, there's civil laws, there's moral laws. You know, am I not supposed to wear clothes that have blended fabric on it? Because the Bible talks against that. Am I allowed to have a tattoo? What does the Bible say about that? The Old Testament says, what, where, do we, where do you stand on that? Where do I stand? Where do you stand on this? Because the Old Testament says this. I've had this question asked before. Is tithing for a Christian today? There are lots of opinions out there. Tithing is an Old Testament ceremonial law that the children of Israel did. Now, you say, okay, great. I don't have to. No, 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 no. Time out. Study the book of uh, study the book of Acts. You study the book of First Corinthians, especially chapter number nine and chapter sixteen. If anything, if a Christian, if tithing was for Jews, then we'd be under something that's called grace giving, that's supposed to be even greater than what the tithe even was. So you can get real technical on all of those terms. So you say, well, where, what, how am I supposed to? What do I take from the Old Testament and use my life today? Or does the Old Testament not even apply to me? Where do we stand? This is a loaded question, okay? 
This is not one that just there's a simple answer to. But I thought, all right, this is a good one to start with and a good one to tackle. And so that's where we're going to start tonight. So how does the Old Testament apply to me? We're here in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy. You're like, we're in the New Testament, Pastor. Uh, that's where we're at. Just hold on for a minute. You've got to look at some New Testament to lay the groundwork to go back to the Old Testament. Now, let me help you out as we get going tonight. Church doctrine, what we believe as a church, does not come from the Old Testament. It does not come from the book of Acts. A lot of churches get in trouble because they get their church doctrine based on the book of Acts. That's why some churches, people will be foaming up and down the aisle, speaking in tongues and going crazy and doing things that the Bible doesn't. If you want to know where we get our doctrine for the church, it comes from Paul's epistles. Very clearly in Scripture, that's where church doctrine comes from. So how does the Old Testament apply to us today? It doesn't even matter. Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts tonight. We're going to get through number one. If we get through number one in time, We'll get to number two. If not, number two will be next week. But the two things are this. The first question is this. Why does the Old Testament matter? And then if we have time, what Old Testament laws are we to follow today? You know, if you look at some of the Old Testament laws, how many of you like your steak rare? Old Testament law, you weren't supposed to eat blood. How many of you like shellfish? Shame on you. How many of you like bacon? Sinner, 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 big time sinner. Sometimes it seems like when it comes to the Old Testament, we like to pick and choose what we like to and hold on to certain things and not other things. Well, what am I supposed to hold on to? That's the goal of this question and answer time. This is not going to be straight preaching. It's going to be going through some thoughts on this. But as we get into it tonight, we're going to start tonight with why does the Old Testament matter? I heard just recently there was a preacher, and he's a popular pastor. I'm not going to mention who he is. And he's authored a book, and one of the books he says in there to pastors, he said, would you consider unhitching your teaching of what it means to follow Jesus from all things Old Covenant? His idea is that what happens is the Old Testament becomes a stumbling block to faith. And it's one of those things that if there's a problem, a contradiction, or an issue with people, it's because of the Old Testament. And that's a bunch of baloney. I'll just leave it there, and I won't say anything else about that. But I want you to understand, why does the Old Testament matter? It matters, first of all, as we look at 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Look down with me. At verse number 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are... Now, what scriptures did Timothy have at this time? Old Testament scriptures. What scriptures did Jesus preach from? Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament ones weren't done yet. So when, as we look right here, we see, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16. I'm going to teach you a Greek word in a second here. Let me give you the meaning of it. It says all Scripture. Did you know that in Greek, the word for all, this is literally what it means. All. Every single one. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not just the New Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture then, because it's given by inspiration of God, all scripture is profitable for doctrine. All scripture is good for reproof. It's good for instruction, or for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And why do we need the word of God that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works? God gave us his word. All of it matters. So as we dive in tonight, 
We're going to go right into these notes, and we're going to see as far as we can get. Number one, why does the Old Testament matter? We believe it matters. It matters because, letter A, the Old Testament is an integral part of the inspired, inerrant, and authoritative Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, the Scripture tells us. Did you know that the Old Testament makes up 75% of the Scripture? It's a big portion of it. So we believe that the Old Testament, it's an important part. God gave it to us for a reason. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not only that, but when it, why does it matter, letter B? It matters because the Old Testament reveals the attributes and actions of God. The Old Testament teaches us a lot about God. Hey, no Old Testament? How would we know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? How would we know that? How would we know that, that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden if we didn't have the Old Testament? How would we know a lot of those things? How would we know how the children of Israel started without the Old Testament? The Old Testament shows us we would not know what we know about God without the Old Testament. You really look, the New Testament talks about God. God so loved the world that he gave his son. But you look at the Old Testament, it reveals and shows us God, how he is, his attributes, the actions of God. So it's important. Let us see, we see the Old Testament helps us see how God chose Israel to be a light to the nations. We wouldn't see that without the Old Testament. The Old Testament's important. Bible tells us in Psalm 147, verse 19 and 20, He showeth His word unto Jacob, His statutes and judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. For as for His judgments, they have not known them. How would we know the statutes that God has, or His judgments, if He didn't write them to Israel? Right? It's important to look at. So the Old Testament helps us understand why God chose Israel. And you might look and say, why the Jews? Why Israel? Why not? That's who he chose. He liked Abraham. Abraham found favor with God. We'll talk more about that maybe later. Letter D, why the Old Testament matters. The Old Testament lays the foundation for the teaching and the events found in the New Testament. You notice how over and over again in the New Testament says and the scripture was fulfilled? Because the groundwork was laid in the Old Testament. And it was laid so that, and it's important because you have to have that foundation laid for the New Testament. There are a lot, you look at the Jews today, I don't know how with what they say that they know and all these different things, and they have the Old Testament, how they can't see how the New Testament lines up and fulfills all the promises that were given. I don't know how they don't, but the Bible does say they're blinded to it. But the Old Testament lays the foundation. And did you know all but 12 chapters in the New Testament reference the Old Testament? All but 12. And so if we don't saturate ourselves with the Old Testament, we won't understand a lot of the New Testament. If we think about substitutionary atonement and how Christ took our place on the cross, you need Isaiah chapter 53. If you don't have Isaiah 53, how he was wounded for our transgressions, he was despised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was upon him, by his stripes were healed. If you don't have that foundation of Isaiah 53, you're not going to understand how that works. If you don't, if you don't see that, this, that the Son of God was going to be born of, of a virgin... In Bethlehem, where's all the groundwork laid? The foundation in the Old Testament. The Old Testament matters. It lays that foundation, letter E. So the entire Old Testament points to Christ. The entire Old Testament does. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. Do you have that verse? It says, and beginning at Moses... So what books of the law did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? So beginning at Genesis and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Old Testament clearly points to Christ. 
all throughout the book. We don't have time to go into great detail about all of it. But we could, let's talk about the ark. There was one way into the ark, and it saved mankind, didn't it? The ark is a picture of Christ. The animal sacrifice for the sins of Adam and Eve, a picture of Christ. Isaac being offered on Mount Moriah by his father Abraham, a picture of Christ. Joseph being in Egypt and all that Joseph went through, a picture of Christ. Joshua, a clear picture of Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, all that it's doing, it is building the case and it's pointing everything to Christ. And so the Old Testament is, it does matter. We see letter F, the Old Testament was also, was the Bible Jesus read from, studied, and he memorized. And when we think about that, the, this is what Jesus said. These are his words in Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Not just the New Testament words, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I think you can see I'm building a case that the Old Testament matters, right? It matters. I'm sure you already knew all this anyways, but it's still important to see. G, the Old Testament provides vivid examples of faithfulness and failures of real people. That's, that you can learn so much from the examples of those people in the Old Testament. You could learn a lot, just we take Abraham, man, you could learn a lot about his faithfulness to God, his faith in God. You could also see the examples of him lying to Pharaoh. Or you can see so many different things. So the Old Testament provides examples, and that's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So all the stories of the Old Testament, they matter. There are examples of God's people for us to read and to be able to see some of the great things they did. And maybe, you know, think about Daniel. Wouldn't it be a great thing for us to learn to pray three times a day as he did? I think that would be a great lesson for us to learn. Hey, if, if, if Newsom decided to build a statue to himself and we had to bow down to it every day, might be good to follow what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They wouldn't bow. There's a lot of great things we can learn. Then there's things that we see that we shouldn't do. And there's a lot of those. We won't get into those tonight, but there are tons of examples for us, and that's why it's so important that we study the Old Testament. And then also, letter H, the Old Testament gives us hope when we go through trials. Because we see those who've gone through things, and we see how they make it through. And the Bible tells us in Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. The Old Testament was written, it was written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's why we have the Old Testament. Man, if God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a kid and it took that long to fulfill, but God came through on His promise, then God's going to come through on His promises with us. There's so much that we can learn from the Old Testament. It's so important. And it's, and it's a great thing for us to study the Old Testament. The next thing is this. The Old Testament helps us grow in our faith. The book of Proverbs 15, verse 32. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. And you see, you think about it, the book, and I like how um, this preacher said it about some of the wisdom, the literature, and the Bible. Psalms teach us how to worship. Proverbs teach us how to behave. Job shows us how to suffer. Song of Solomon shows us how to love. And then Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live. Those are the literature books of the Old Testament. There's so much there, but it helps us grow in our faith. And then, letter J, the Old Testament challenges us to be concerned about matters of justice. We're called to care for the little, the least, and the lost. And the Bible tells us in Micah 6, He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, 
to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. When we think about this, without the Old Testament, you miss out on 75% of God's revelation that he gave us, teaching us about himself, about man, about sin, and about salvation. The New Testament is just basically, I think a great way of wording it is this, the, Old Testa- the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. The Old Testament, think, how many of you back in the day, some of you are old enough to remember these things. You remember the old slides, the little slides, and you had the little projector, and it would click and all of that. The Old Testament is the little slide by itself. Man, you pick up that slide yourself, you can barely see a thing. You can shine a light on it. You can do whatever you want. That slide, you don't see a lot. You put that slide into a projector, and it magnifies it out. And, oh, that's what that, you know. The New Testament is the projector that's like, oh, that makes sense. You see, the Old Testament needs the New Testament. But the New Testament needs the Old Testament. And that's how it works. You might find a gr- this is a good summary to have to put it all together. The Old Testament was anticipation about Christ's coming. The Gospels was the manifestation of Christ being here. The book of Acts was the proclamation that he is here. The epistles were the explanation. And then you have the consummation in the book of Revelation. That's a great way to look at how the scriptures. So the Old Testament, does it matter? Yes, it does. And you say, Pastor, it's 710. Should we just go right now? I've got point number two. Let's do point number two. This is where it gets a little hairy right here. So we're going to give these. Isaiah, you want to help pass these out? Moni, you want to take the other half here? My little usherette right there with her tag on and everything. So go ahead and pass those out. So if you would like a, Oh, I need one for myself too. So I didn't know how far we'd get, but we moved right through there. I would ask if you got any questions about my question, but then we could be here all night answering questions. If you honestly have questions about anything I'm saying tonight, write it down and we will and get it to me and we can talk about it later or text it to me, whatever works out best for you. So we let, did we answer the question, is the Old Testament important? Yes, let's try that again. Class, is the Old Testament important? Yes, all right, good. That's good. Now we're going to move on to the second question. And this is where, yeah, this, was, this is good right here, okay? And this is a little tougher. What Old Testament laws are to be followed today? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is, this is, and my job, you got to remember, my job is to preach and teach to you God's word. One of the things that I am learning, and I'm a slow learner, but I'm learning, is that where the Bible doesn't say a lot, I need to just not say a lot either. I have my opinions. We all, does everyone in this room have opinions? Yeah. Anybody in the room not have an opinion? If you don't have an opinion... Jennifer, raise your hand. She doesn't have an opinion. Bridget, does your daughter ever have an opinion? Yeah, then she doesn't even smile. I was going to say, I know Jennifer well enough. I know she does. And it can be a great opinion. You know, sometimes we have great it's, I hear opinions are like armpits. Sometimes they can smell great. And sometimes they can stink and be really bad. So that's how opinions are. And so... As we look at this topic and we go deeper into it tonight, I want to help you with this, and I want to give you some help. Now, at the end of the day, this is one of the other things you got to remember. I am a pastor called by the Lord to pastor the flock of Victory Baptist Church. God did not call me to be your Holy Spirit. He did not. He called me to pastor and to rightly divide the word of truth. So you might say, well, pastor, I have a strong conviction on this Old Testament. I have a strong conviction on tithing. I wish every Christian had a strong conviction on tithing. 
I really do. But that's the Holy Spirit's job, not mine. So as we go through this tonight, this could raise some more questions in your mind. And that's the good thing about this. This would not be, I would not normally do a topic like this in a service. But we'll see where we get and see what I can do to help you tonight. What Old Testament laws are to be followed today? Many non-Christians like to say that Christians just pick and choose what parts of the Old Testament they like to follow. And I would agree with that statement. We do that. But this is what happens a lot of time. We like to pick and choose sometimes the things that we don't struggle with. Those are the things that we like of the Old Testament. And there's other things. You've got to understand, you've got to take the Old Testament for what it is. It's God's Word. And so, you know, someone said it like this. Um, when the Bible talks about certain sexual behaviors as sin, you quote that. But when it says not to eat shellfish or that you should execute people for breaking the Sabbath, you just ignore it. What are you supposed to do? Are, what do you choose? What do you do? Are we under the Sabbath today? By you working on the Sabbath, are you breaking God's law, and should you be put to death? There are Christians out there, and this is a hot topic, and I'm just going to bring it up real quick, homosexuality. There are Christians out there, and this is what they say. This is not where I stand. This is what they say. They say that they should be lined up and killed for what they do, because that's what the Bible says. Does the Old Testament say things like that? It, it does. Is that what we're supposed to do today? No. So how do you know if you're supposed to keep the Sabbath, if you can eat shrimp, if you can have a rare steak? What do we follow today? How do we know what to follow? We're going to try and answer that over the next 15, 20 minutes. And so, since, and as we look at this, the key to understanding the Old Testament and the laws of the Old Testament is getting something clear in our minds before we begin. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The principle you need to understand before we dive into the different laws is the fact that God selected the nation of Israel to be his special people. They were called to be holy, separated, and distinct from every nation around them in that day. The covenant God gave through Abraham and the laws he gave through Moses was like a treaty with Israel. This is, if you do these things, God gave them the list of rules and laws that he wanted. God gave these to Israel. Make sure you understand that tonight. He gave them to Israel. There are Christians out there that say, well, the church is the new Israel. That's not true. Israel is not replaced by the church. There is a doctrine out there, and there's many. It's called replacement theology. God has not replaced the Jews with the church. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ and cut him off. When that happened, God said, all right, I'm done with you for now. But there's a seven-year period called the tribulation where God will finish his work with the Jews. God's not done with the Jews. And the church is not the Jews. We are not the spiritual Jews of the New Testament. We are not. We get grafted into God's family line, and there's a lot of blessings and things that happen. But don't try and make the case that we are Israel, because we're not. So with that thought, God had a special people. 
They're his people. He has special laws for them. And so there are three type of Old Testament laws that regulate every aspect of life for the Jews in the Old Testament. We're going to run through these, and I'm going to try and help you with them. The first one, number one, are civil laws. The first laws that we're going to talk about, there are three different laws that were given to Israel in the Old Testament. The first were civil laws. These laws provided unique identity for Israel as a nation. They were like no other nation, and they shouldn't have been because they were God's chosen nation, right? These were God's people that God led through the wilderness, that God did all these things, but these were God's people. So there were some civil laws that were set up, and these included how, when war should happen, how you settle disputes with other people, how land would be used, how restitution for a man gored by an ox would take place. These laws not only govern behaviors, but also there were punishments for breaking them. So there were civil laws that were set up for Israel. That's the first laws that we're looking at. Now let me help some of you with a thought. And some of you have had this, I've, had, I've heard this question as well. And the question is, why is there so much violence, war, and killing in the Old Testament? Good question. The, the answer to that is, you say, why did God go to war against Canaan? And the Canaanites. Why did they die? Why did they suffer at the hands of Israel? To the average person, you'd look and say, well, God just isn't fair. If you ever say something like that as a Christian, God always should get the benefit of every doubt that you ever have. Because there's more to everything than what we think. God does justly in everything. He is righteous He's just in everything he ever does. The problem is we just don't understand it. But don't ever question, don't, don't, with God, just give him the benefit of the doubt always. But when we think about this, if you were to study the Canaanite culture of that day, they were so wicked in the things that they would do. They were brutal, aggressive people who engaged in bestiality, incest they offered their children on the altar and sacrificed them deviant sexual acts were the normal for the canaanites and the canaanites they were what they did was so sickening to god the bible even tells us in leviticus 18 25 and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants the land of Canaan, the promised land there the actions of the Canaanites in that land made the land sick. How bad they were. We could read in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. It says, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall, be afflict, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Do you realize the children of Israel were not in the promised land for over 400 years? Do you know God gave, be honest, God gave the Canaanites 400 years to repent of their wickedness. The 400 years that Israel wasn't there. And they didn't. Say, so, well, would God have forgiven them? Did he forgive Rahab? The harlot? Yes. He would have forgiven the Canaanites. They didn't want forgiveness. They did what they did. And because of that, and as we look at this, God judged them. And you got to understand what happened to the Canaanites, their destruction, provides us with a somber reminder that while our God is gracious and merciful, he's also a God of holiness, and he will punish and that's what he did to the Canaanites. They had coming what happened to them. That's why they were destroyed. 
And God even gave them chances. And praise God for the Rahabs that got that got that repented and got right. But as we look at that, you gotta understand as we look here tonight at these laws, the first set of laws were civil laws, and these are what made Israel unique. More and you gotta understand we look at America today. Some of our laws. If you go to some of the buildings in Washington, D.C. and in those areas, you see Moses and the law. And some of our laws are patterned after the laws of the Old Testament. But you've got to understand something. The civil laws that were written in the Old Testament, they were written for Israel. That's the first type of law. The second type of law is the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws. These were the laws that were the heart of worship of the Old Testament. They were often translated as statutes. And uh, these laws represented righteousness and eternal standards dealing with ethics, sexual conduct, and lots of other areas. How to, um, how to dress before you came before God. How to do certain things. How to maintain ritual purity in a day where these heathens, the things that they would do. You know, we could, we're just going to go somewhere and I'm not going to park here long. But go with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Okay, you got to remember something. God is teaching the children of Israel how he wanted them to be. How they needed to govern. How they were to worship and the ceremonial laws that were put in place. Why did this need to happen? They had spent 400 years in Egypt. They were messed up. Let's be honest. They're the civil laws of Egypt. Egypt was just like any other wicked place. And God says, I've called you out of Egypt. You're my people. I'm going to be your God. This is how I want you to set up your civil laws. This is how you need to do it. In Egypt, they had religion. They worshiped many false pagan gods. In fact, you could see over and over again in the plagues in Egypt, and you have all these different things. They had gods for everything in Egypt. They had a frog god. They had a water god. All these different gods. That's why you look at the ten plagues. That was God showing Pharaoh that he is God of all. But they saw how not to do it. Let's be honest. When Moses is up on the mountain... Mount Sinai, and they're worshiping the golden calf. They're naked dancing before it. The things they were doing, that was taken straight out of Egypt. And you might worship a pagan god that way, but you don't worship the holy god of gods that way. And so there were ceremonial laws put in place for Israel. And so you look at Leviticus chapter number 19, and we read here, and so look with me in verse number, we technically go through the whole chapter, we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but you could look through at the beginning, it says in verse number one, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Ye shall fear every man his mother, his father. Keep my Sabbaths, and I am the Lord your God. Turn ye, turn ye not unto idols. And it goes through a list of these different things. If you go further down to verse number uh, 19, ye shall keep my statutes, ceremonial laws. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with diverse kinds. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon me. You say, well, what's this about? These are the ceremon these are statutes, the ceremonial laws. And uh, you could go down to verse number twenty one. It says, And he shall bring his trespass or let's go down to uh, let's see. There's so much in this chapter that I could get into. But if you were to go through and read, you'll see the fact that the Bible mentions the, um, 
ceremonial, or it says statutes there. Most of the time when you see the word statutes, it's because it's referring to what the heathens did. Like if you look in this passage, the one verse in the Bible about marking your body is found right in this passage. Say why? Because that's what the heathens did. And God didn't want his people doing what the heathens did. Now you say, where does that stand today? No one asked me that question, and I'm not going to give you my answer on that. I'm just telling you that's why it was listed here. It was a ceremonial law. You talk about not eating blood with your meat. That's a ceremonial law because that's what the heathen did. I'll just tell you this, and I'll leave it there. You're not under the ceremonial law today, and I'll leave that there, and you can think all you want and ask me more questions if you want to later. These were because Israel, all the things that had happened to them in Egypt and all these different places, God had to get all the heathenistic things out of them. And that's why he had these rules for them. And so the ceremonial laws, they were very important, and it was basically how you would come before God. There are certain things you don't do. Don't do the things the heathens would do. Then number three, the third type of law, are the moral laws. These laws are often translated as ordinances in the Bible. And, and the most clear set of moral laws we can think of are the Ten Commandments, right? Those are moral laws. And so these laws represent righteousness and eternal standards dealing with ethics and all these different things and how we live our lives with people around us. Remember, Jesus summed them up in two things. Jesus took all the law. Are you ready? The moral law, Jesus summed them up in two things. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we look at this and as we think about this tonight, and what you've got to understand is, when Jesus died on the cross, when he paid the price, all those civil laws and the ceremonial laws were done on the cross. We don't celebrate the Sabbath or not work on the Sabbath today because we serve the God of the Sabbath. He, is, he, he took care of it. So when you look at things, and you got to understand, this is what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy. I've come to fulfill. That's why he came. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, you got to understand something. When he did that, he paid the price. The book of Hebrews is a great book for you to read and to try and understand some of those things. And it will help you in that area. And as you think about this, and you got to understand, even Paul himself warns Christians that if they focus on keeping commands related to feasts, festivals, these civil and uh, ceremonial laws, they're in danger. And uh, the Bible tells us in Galatians 4, verse 9 through 11, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years, and I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. What Paul's saying is you're going back to all these things. The laws. Remember Jesus with the Pharisees and the scribes? He healed the man on the Sabbath. They were focused on the ceremonial law. Christ came to fulfill that. And so as we look at this and I try and tie it all together, how do we take the Old Testament and how do we apply it to our lives? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to finish this up for you and it's going to make a little bit more sense because some of you are a little confused at this moment, but we're going to tie it all together. When you look at the Old Testament, I got a few metaphors to help you with it. The first one is this. Think of the Old Testament as a map. As a map. God's laws teach us how to live like God wants us to live. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse 92, Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. So, look at the Old Testament as a map. 
you can see the character of God. There are things that God likes. There are things that God doesn't like. And then use the Holy Spirit that he's given you and some discernment on some things. But look at it as a map. Think about this one. Think of the Old Testament as a muzzle. The law can also keep us from doing, it can keep us from doing wrong. But you got to be careful that you don't look to the law. The law is not the end all. But the law, knowing the law does help you not do things you shouldn't do. Am I correct on that? So there are benefits to the law. Look at it as a map. Look at it as a muzzle. Look at it as a mirror. I think a mirror is a great one. The, in James chapter 1, it describes the law like a mirror. What do you do in a mirror? You look at your face, right? You see if you've got something spilt on your face or what you need to do. And so the law shows us, wow, we're a mess. The law is there to show us our need of a Savior. And then the, you could also think about this one. You could think of the metaphor of a master. And the law can bring bondage because it's impossible to keep. And sometimes people will let the law be their master. The book of Galatians, the church in Galatia, this was one of the problems they had. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so the law, the main point of the law is to show us that we could never keep the law. Now, with saying all of that, let me just make sure you understand something. You are not under the civil laws of Israel or the ceremonial laws of Israel. We should be following the moral laws of God's word. Freedom, but think about this. Freedom from the Old Testament laws is not a license for us to do as we please. In fact, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. He said, do you have those verses? You have heard how it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, it almost looks like grace under the Lord takes it even a step further than what the Old Testament law did, right? Do you see that there? And so the next time someone looks at you and says, well, what do you do? You just pick and choose what you like in that Bible, don't you? You need to be able to tell them the differences between the civil, ceremonial, and moral laws. We're just doing our best to follow the moral laws that God's given to us. There might be some in here that you feel the Holy Spirit very strongly on you that you need to observe. You know, I've heard someone before, Old Testament, they they felt that they should never have a Christmas tree in their house. There's a verse that talks about wood and a house. But if you take that verse literally, if you take that verse literally, I really don't think you could own a house that is built with wood because there's a tree involved in it, if we're being honest, if you go that far. But if someone feels that that's what they should do, that's there. Let each man decide. Let them be fully persuaded in their own mind. Romans chapter 14. If someone says, I won't eat blood on my meat, then don't do it. Cook it till it's dead. You might say, I like it with flesh. Then you do what God leads you to do. But you are not under those Old Testament laws, those ceremonial laws, those civil laws. We're under grace today. That does not excuse us to do as we please. I think, let me see if this is a good way I could word it for you tonight. So, in summary... Go ahead and eat shrimp, barbecue ribs, and eat a medium rare steak without guilt. And then by his grace and empowerment, live with sexual purity while striving to live out the Ten Commandments. And know that the whole goal of the law was summed up by the one who fulfilled the law. And that's what we got to be looking to. you got to understand, if your whole desire is to fulfill all the law, you're never going to do it. Do you know what we have to do? We have to look to the one who did fulfill all the law, Christ. Christ is what matters today. And some Christians get so stuck on things that don't even matter. 
And a lot of our Baptist friends get stuck in areas that are ceremonial laws that we're not even under today. And you say, well, what should I do with it? You do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. You want to ask me a deeper question about certain things? You can ask that to me. Say, are you going to do a whole sermon on it? Depends on what it is. But if you want my opinion from Scripture, I will sit down with you from the Scripture, and I'll help you see if something is a civil law, ceremonial, or if it is a moral law. As God's people, we need to be following the moral laws. It's the way to live. But as a Christian, under grace, under the Lord, you have been set free from the civil and the ceremonial laws. Don't let the law trip you up. Get to Christ. He's the one who fulfilled the law. He's the one we keep our eyes on. He's the one that people need. And hopefully tonight that was a help to you. So what are we under today? I think I explained that. We follow the moral laws. Say, well, what is, and I gave you the difference of those. If you need more help from there, you come see me, and I will do my best to help you. I created more questions in your head or messed you up even more. I'm sorry. That wasn't my goal. You can text me, see me anytime, have coffee with pastor, do whatever you want to do, and we'll go forward from there. Father, we thank you. Did I, did I forget something, Carl? What did I forget? The last one. What's the last one that I didn't fill in there for you? So... After Matthew, oh, master, master. So, mentor, oh, mentor. Oh, sorry, oh, one of the, um, one of the, yeah, mentor. In my notes, there was a big skip, and it went down one line from there, so yeah. So, and think about this, so let me just give this to you real quick, and then I'll pray. So, when you think about the metaphor, like a, a mentor, the commands are not like, like, you know, you have a ladder, you have each step on the ladder. They don't get you closer to heaven every time you follow. It's pointing us to Christ. So the law is mentoring us to get to Christ. Does that make sense? That's what that last one is. So there you go. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your book. Thank you for the Old Testament and the power that it has and I thank you for it and how we need it. And I thank you for the foundations that are there. Bless your people. We love you. Bless the rest of our week. And bless all that goes on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before you leave, this coming Saturday, I've mentioned it for several weeks now. And if you have missed out on it,